1: I'm Jenny Nelson. And
2: I'm Mark Jeeves.
1: Welcome to another episode of Reproducer, the podcast that looks behind the studio glass or into the studio to see the person hovering slightly behind the presenter. We're talking about the unsung hero, at least that's how we like to see it, the producer. In this episode, we are so delighted to be chatting to a producer from a radio programme that has been on the air since 1942, a veritable jewel in the crown. Our guest today is Sarah Taylor from Desert Island Discs.
3: It's kind of quite an occasion. I do detect a little thrill when it's Desert Island Discs Day. The lovely thing about our programme is once they said yes to it, you know, well then, you know, they're, they're in. I'm confident that radio will still be important and in any times of crisis and news as well, look how well all the science programmes did, all the public health programmes did during COVID.
2: Yeah, this episode gives us the chance to look behind the workings of a radio institution because let's think about it. There aren't that many programmes that have been on the air for over 3,000... 300 editions or which command such respect and reverence from their guests as well as their audience and we're delighted that Sarah joined us for this episode. We're going to find out how the show's put together the fearsome amount of attention that's paid to the editing process as well as Sarah's own journey in radio and how she got to work on a national treasure like Desert Island Discs and we started our chat with her uh, by asking for her definition of what a radio producer's role actually is A radio producer,
3: producer director, everything really. Someone who is just super curious about everything. Really well read, I think you have to, well, in my field, you have to be really well read. And that doesn't mean that you read a lot of books at the university. You have to continue to be across everything. Otherwise you're not really unused to a programme. Well organised, because quite often, you know, radio teams are really, really small. And I tried to describe to my husband when he said, for God's sake, Sarah, you really are ill today. You've got to take a day off work. I said, and I it's a bit like a novelist writing a book. You wouldn't delegate that to somebody else. So if you're right in the middle of an edit of a documentary, because before Desert Island Discs, I spent 14 years in radio documentaries. You know how hard it is for somebody to come and pick that up. So, yeah, stay healthy, <laughs> take vitamin D. <laughs> um, and obviously really creative. And I sort of think I walk around the world really with like, you know, there's that radar things that go ar- around. I, yeah. I just feel that I'm just always on the lookout especially with discs as well, like who's in the zeitgeist, who, you know, if I'm going to have a scientist, who is the person that that should be? And if I was doing a cartoon of myself, I've got this radar turning around.
1: Excellent. And so so to to go on to Desert Island Discs, how do you devise the guest list? It's an ongoing thing
3: because the nature, you know, there's 42 programmes a year. So there will always be 21 men and 21 female. Right. Pretty much been like that unconscious for a number of years. If you go back before any kind of, measurements were made desert island Dis, i think was probably always ahead of the game because a previous producer felt that was very important and it's like who's around as well so for instance news that steven spielberg is coming over of course we're going to embrace that mm. you know we're not going to say no to the director that we'd also booked uh, but it's making sure uh that it is a really well balanced run you know so um that you've got you know your medical people your scientists, your actors, musicians. And then the ones that are very, very popular as well with listeners, you know, people hadn't heard of them. So we had a forensic scientist, Angela Gallup, and her episode. Lots and lots of people really love listening to that as well. So, and that's what I mean about the radar, always on your head, because uh, another very popular edition was uh, one of the most senior firefighting women um, in the UK. But her story, I mean, she'd she'd been homeless. It was an amazing story as well and again lots of people like that so i think it's being really open-minded rather than prescriptive if, if i could put it like that
1: and and do you have to kind of put forward a case Does, is there a, ever a robust discussion about who should be on and who shouldn't not really i think i think we're generally in agreement oh yeah. good good yeah. So, so then to, to go on to the next part of the question then about a typical or, or not even a typical from sort of start once the guest has been confirmed to the broadcast what are what are the key steps
3: so once a guest has been secured and confirmed in the shed because we do plan quite a bit ahead because if somebody is you know during covid you know if someone was ill and I, obviously for so many reasons covid was a nightmare for lots of people but we can't quickly replace somebody because we do do research so once someone's been booked either myself or the assistant producer christine will then have a big research chat with them Uh, that will be about 60 to 90 minutes and that's when we ask them for their discs They're sent a a document to sort of help them think about their discs and then those that's written up with other research now we wouldn't ask them obvious questions that that we know are true like if we know they're born on the 21st of april we're not going to ask that you yeah. <laughs> know so so we explain that as well as and um i've spent about a day properly researching them before i speak to them i mean i'm doing other work as well but and i've probably listened to some other interviews that they've done i've looked at some good profile pieces as well just to get a measure of what they're about particularly if I, i'm not familiar you know i mean i can't i am not a walking encyclopedia so if it's a scientist and if it is something complex i'll also really try and understand what their field of work is. And once that's done, then those those notes go to Lauren and, you know, she'll do her own thinking research. And then as the producer of the programme, it's my decision as to which order those discs go in. I think sometimes people who are castaways are surprised because your instinct, oh, well, this is the first record I heard, or this is the first record that I bought. And I said, actually, to tell your story, trust us, I will put them in the order that we think best tells your story to make a programme. And I guess that is the, you know, that's, that's the big step one of the producing bit of it, you know. They might think their life's like this, and of course it is, but I'm thinking of I want people to stay listening yes. and I want them to be gripped. And especially if people don't know who they are at first. You think, well, what's the most interesting thing? And also build it. So you know, if people have had a sad area of their life that they're what well, you know, you don't you wouldn't start off with that either. You know, that would come later too. Um and then once you record it, they recording, it's kind of quite an occasion. I've realized that. And we've got some younger trainees. Working not on our program, but in the open plan office. And, and I do think there there's a little, I do detect a little thrill when upstairs oh, I'm this day. And because for a start, we're a bit smarter. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Lauren comes in, she has her breakfast show in the morning on Six Music, then she'll come over to us, we'll have a relaxed chat. And then whoever's producing, it's either myself or Paula, it's like, what did we, what most surprised us about this guest? What do we most love about them? And, you know, just just sort of make sure that our running order of, of of questions is a good one, and then we go to the studio, and with you know they have their photo taken first for our website, and I quite often I have in the past uh, made desert palm tree shaped biscuits before. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, quite often do that if I know they got to sweet tooth, and um, yeah, I'll, so I'll do all of that. I'm just try to make it feel you know feel special. And I think for a lot of people, what the lovely thing about our program is once they've said yes to it, you know, well, then, you know, they're, they're in, you know, it's just like, they want it to be a good program as well. They know it's special. And yeah, it's it's a very nice, it's a very nice program to work on.
1: I yeah. bet. I bet. It's, it is so special just, you know, listening to it. it's And you can tell some of the guests the, it, the honor, they're aware that it's an honor to be asked. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whenever I listen with a producer hat on, I always marvel at the edit, as in how you edit it all to time, because the Thank format you. is quite rigid, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah. I mean, how do you have a fixed duration that you record? No, or, no. Oh, okay. No. So, so Lauren's not kind of clock watching thinking, oh gosh, I've got to get to the next disc or no, anything like that. I don't
3: think it would work as well. That's always been true. It was. I mean, I've worked with Lauren and I've worked with Kirsty, so you you know, in terms of efficient use of resources, yes. But no, we we record. Uh, we could record up to two hours, actually. Oh wow! Yeah. So it is quite hard, and and actually funny enough because I come from documentaries mm. where I'd worked for fourteen years in all kinds of location work and stuff like that. And so I thought it would be very straightforward edits, and actually the first one I did, I realised, oh my gosh, because you can't hide anything. <laughs> you know, if if the intonation, I mean, I mean, you no, know, we we should be the jewel in the crown of the radio for interview. And actually, your craft skills as a, when I say editor, in this case, I mean the literal, you know, cutting the thing down to time, not with a, you know, editorial hat on. You've got to be a star. You shouldn't really be able to take the edits very, very occasionally. I think sometimes possibly, but but you, but it's like. We have to be a star. So when you're listening, we very rarely ask people to do a retake either because we want it to be the natural flow of the conversation. So yes, 41 minutes, 38 seconds, end of speech with a sick tune. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and for you personally, are there any guests that stand out as having surprised you in the studio, You know, whether they've revealed more or they've been more, they've just been a different person to what you expected them to be?
3: Probably very boring. If you, no, because I've already had that um, research chat with them, which before COVID was always in person, and, unless it was in America. So they they already know me, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So I think they can already trust me. They want to be on the programme. And I think things have just been better. So, so ones that I've really enjoyed that I've just thought, Thought, um like Bob Mortimer, that was yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Bob Mortimer, but so many have been lovely. I, I mean to be honest, yeah, every everybody has been really good. And Russell T. Davis, the way he talked about his late husband, that was the thing that many people listening to really responded to. But yeah, no, and I think because we do do our groundwork, I mean that's what I would say for like younger producers, we we, we, we have to say. I don't think I've ever been as more prepared before I walk into a studio as I ever have been on Desert Anandis. Because it can't fail, you know. It can't fail because we've only got them once. They can't come back. So I think the production standards are very high. Yeah.
1: And just uh, one more from me before I hand over to Mark. I should have asked this at the start, sorry. So how big is the team? So there's you, there's Paul, There's me.
3: I'm paid part-time. So I'm paid three days a week. And then there's Paula who's full-time. And then there's Christine, who is, oh my goodness, the most fantastic assistant producer. But I think really, she doesn't produce the programme. She she writes notes. And honestly, if you ever need a fabulous person on the quiz team, ask Christine because what she's just done that job now probably for. Eight, nine, ten years. So she can just turn around a Nobel Prize winning scientist or no, I did I show, but you know, whoever it is, she's just fantastic. And we do, and then and then we have our editor, uh John, who, who looks after who's who really is our sort of final pair of ears. So when I've got the program down, and John will listen to that before I send it off mixing, and hopefully I've got it down to time. I mean some there are some times I just think I love it all and and you know and I'll send it him three or four minutes over and I say John what do you think because I could as you know when you're editing it it's like well I could spend another couple of hours editing this down or you could just say I like that I don't like that or that's the least interesting so there's John who's editor who's also the editor of Start the Week in Our Time and all those but but yeah he's our sort of listener person
2: I'm going to be editing this episode of the podcast and now I'm terrified having found out how. <laughs> detailed your editing <laughs> so you're going to be listening for every breath but it's okay everything's fine um you have mentioned <laughs> your previous life before desert island as a documentary producer it'd be interesting to find out a how you got into that and also some of the work that you did with that
3: i don't know how many wrinkles you can see here none okay. <laughs> now i actually joined me 34 years I've been at the BBC. So um, I didn't immediately start in documentaries. I've got a degree in classical music, and I started off in Radio 3, first of all. Right. And I have to be honest, I you know, I grew up in a house that, that didn't have Radio 4 on. had Radio 1 on, and it had Radio 2 on, my dad in the garden. So I didn't really know a lot about Radio 4, I'm embarrassed to say. But then when I heard the sort of programs, that was this series called Soundtrack, which was, you know, like the best radio is like films of the imagination and and all that kind of, and I just thought, that's what I want to make. So I was working Radio 3 and I thought, how do I get to there? So I did various attachments that were on offer. And whilst I was working on other programmes, when I worked on Woman's Hour for a couple of years, I worked on a lot of live, Radio 4 live, afternoon sequences, did a lot of feature making, small scale. Also as a reporter myself, just trying to find that step from being a, they called it, production assistant back in my day. But then in documentaries, oh, it was fantastic. Did did so many different things. And then you become an expert in niche areas. And weirdly, I'm an expert in the Falklands because I did a lot of the Radio 4's 2002, so a big six-part series called Falkland Families. And then I did an archive hour five years later with Michael Nicholson about the night of the invasion which was an amazing radio program that happened on the falklands and i did two big lots of engineering series with adam hart davis because i'm married to a civil engineer and i thought it's not very many and i used to see his magazine that's what i mean about being curious right. you know I, I have i have art, arts a levels really english french and music and, and I did this 10-part series on engineering. And that's really what a producer, as you, as you as you guys know too, but for any younger people listening, I used to see this magazine, New Civil Engineer, <laughs> on, the, on the floor of the loo. And then I, they, it's very interesting how they did those stories, very different approaches to flooding. You know, it wasn't like about blame. Like you quite often see in our newspapers, it was like, well, how do we solve this? And how much money do we need to solve it? Mm. Um, and it would be like, oh, we need a new bridge here. Or, you know, doing a hydroelectric dam. So it was great. I was off on location. And again, that comes back to being organised. You know, I was fitting in with these very expensive, big industrial things. I mean, I remember going to Terminal 5 when it was just diggers. Wow. And thinking, one day, one and I, that was in when was this? Okay, so i would be about 2003. And I remember thinking, oh, I wonder one day if I'll ever be meeting anyone at the airport when it's finished. Of course... I drive past it now on the I'm 25. So, yeah, all sorts of things like that. Went to Uganda for the World Service to present some pro. well, to make and present some programmes about a, a music school there and a street band um, place there. So, yeah, it's a fantastic varied career. I've been really lucky, yeah. And a programme about dolls' houses, you know, like like you do on Radio 4. Or, you know, I'm your go-to person for like, oh, Radio 3 wanted a 30-part series. On the islamic golden age
2: you have your reputation clearly
3: <laughs> well that's that, but that's what the documentary producer is that's what we're there for you know so if a controller has an idea or commission has it it's not only about programs we want to make it's like oh we you know they've they've identified what they want to do so then there'll be a team assembled to to make that and i was also had a very interesting time on when it was the diamond jubilee i was one of the three person team that produced the radio falls eight part series on the Royal collection. So it was really quite, ex- you know, you'd be at Windsor before anybody else in this room with one of the curators and also just looking at like a diamond or like a, fire. it was, it, you know, in terms of things that you would never, ever get to do, even if you paid loads of money for them as a member of the public, it was, it was like, Oh my goodness. And, you know, being in the, Library at Windsor, just seeing these letters. And am I right in thinking? Yeah, Mendelssohn has sent some sketches to Queen Victoria. I'd never would have seen those ordinarily. and that was just like, oh my goodness, that's amazing.
2: It's one of the things we don't often identify. Actually, and it's a very good point: is that we are in a very privileged position sometimes with the work that we do, aren't we? And we do get to get to some amazing places and see some amazing things. Yeah, and and we should never really forget that. Of all of the of all of the work that you've done, uh, first of all, actually. Has, has anyone ever come to you with an idea that you've gone, no, I'm not going to make a programme about that?
3: Yeah, quite a lot of times.
2: Good. That's all right. then.
3: <laughs> yeah, because it's boring. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be bored. That was what oh. I remember at school, you know, what's your ambition? I said, I don't know who wants to be bored.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: Reproducer. Do you have like a proudest moment because of all of the production jobs you've done? What's the one that stands out for you?
3: Well, it's always nice to get an award, isn't it? And I've been really lucky because I have had some over the years. But I think actually uh, it was really a bronze, not gold, but I got a bronze for best documentary in the Sony's. In 2000, uh, it, well, the award was 2008. I'd made the program in 2007, and it was that archive hour that I had made about the invasion, the Falklands. And I think really why I was proud of it was because, well, A, it was a great story, and I was working with the late Michael Nicholson, who was also a bit of, you know, symmetry about it. I remember watching that 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 war as a, as a young person wondering a lot about it and seeing him so there was a you know 20 years you know no 40 years Forty, yeah, working with someone who was there he was such a great scripter so you know you could do your job as a radio producer to the best that you could do it and then he'd bring his a-game and if you listen i don't think i've ever worked with anyone whose scripting was as good he didn't overwrite but he just really conjured everything up very well and particularly as a tv person you know i was surprised at how good he was doing that but also i remember when i was making it i had two quite small children so i was sort of working during the day then i stopped i would then be a mum and read bar bar or whatever and i remember finishing you know i'd be working from like eight until two in the morning at home editing that because the program was based on 24 hours so to start off with, I had to somehow listen to 24 hours of audio to, to make sure of the, of the actual invasion as people were ringing in on the island of the radio station. So I remember driving them to school and I'd have got all these cassettes and I'm like, oh yeah, four minutes in, whatever. It was it was a massive, a massive endeavour. I can't even explain it all because you just think she is really mad to try and make that programme in such a short of time. And then, you know, like when you're working in the wee small hours and things kind of, it's like composition. I used to do composition when I was a music student. And it kind of sort of makes itself. I'm trying to, and it all flows. And then it just all kind of slots in like this most beautiful 3D jigsaw. And, and it felt like a fantastic feeling. And someone said to me, a shame you know you won bronze and i thought no i'm so grateful to be here on a night out i know how much that program cost me emotionally and and all the stuff that i didn't do because i was just trying to to, and the fact it was good enough to win a bronze with all these amazing people here i was just incredibly happy and i'm proud yeah that i could i could do that
2: and well-deserved as well. And I know people who count a nomination at the Sonys as being an award. So don't don't, well, don't, is, don't it? knock it, a bronze. Yeah, it is. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> That's genius. And your enthusiasm is, uh, is brilliant. You've mentioned John, but who are the other names that you would uh, mention as being big influences in your career? Because as you say, 34 years at the BBC, there must have been some along the way.
3: Well, I think probably my very second boss, when I was at Radio 3, she was called Jane Walker. She was quite unusual there just weren't very many women producers at all there and she'd been a production trainee from telly and I think I don't know why she wasn't in telly but she'd come to radio uh she was very musical I liked her a lot she looking back she seemed so old so much older than me she's probably about eight years older than me and she just sort of said sat down to write and back then we just worked one-to-one as you know this is before email this is when you know You'd have a message book and people would ring the producer's number and you'd go, Jane Walker's office, and you'd write it down. You know, that, that is how far back. This is in the days of quarter-inch tape and razor blades. And she said, I don't want you working for me in a year's time. And I just thought, "I oh, did do you not like me? I was thinking, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Just no, I want you to have gone on. I want you to use this as an apprenticeship. And as long as you get everything done for me that I want – I want you to have ambition and, you know, try other things, which was great because I think, you know, you're so grateful sometimes to get your first job that you'll stick around in quite a menial job. She makes lovely programmes for Radio 3. And so, and in the days, you know, talking about quarter, so we used to have mixing scripts. that I was typing up these mixing scripts from her absolutely illegible handwriting. But that really gave me an insight into form, of how things are put together. And she did, in fact, win a Sony with a programme that I helped to make, and, and I really sort of got into the rhythm and grammar of, of, of how you could put a documentary together. I mean, she even put down details like panning voices. You know, so that idea that radio isn't just one voice, that you can come in, you can make a stereo picture. I got that idea really early on without, for instance, having had a studio manager background. So that was definitely inspirational um and then i think probably john for his calmness but in terms of influence in terms of being in a happy team i also think we joke (laughs) it, my work wife paula as well because what i love about this it's just not it's a very we both want the same thing we both want to keep desert island just really good so it's a very friendly working relationship it's not like um it's not
1: competitive in a, in a horrible way. You've mentioned some of the trainees that you work with and it'd be really nice just to chat about your thoughts about kind of the future of radio producers. Firstly, advice. Well, it's a two, two-pronged question. What advice would you give your younger self when you were starting out? And what advice would you give aspiring radio producers today? It might be the same bit of advice.
3: Well, for, for myself, I was really lucky with with working with Jane, but then she left. So I didn't really have a mentor or champion. I I wish I had been a bit more confident and got a mentor or a a champion early on, because I I then, having got those skills, I flailed around, I think, really, for quite a few years, really, from attachment to attachment. Um, My big advice as well is just get some interview practice as well, because I'd find... These infamous BBC boards. There's so many good people, you know, and there's one job, so they can pick. You know, everybody. You know, you can't say, "Well, why didn't you give me that job?" You know, I'd, I'd go for interviews, sometimes and I wouldn't get them, even though I'd had work that been on pick of the week and all that kind of thing, um, because I I just wasn't um practiced enough in interview techniques. So, so I would definitely do that if you are a young person. Get yourself some interview practice. And listen to their advice, and ask them to be really frank with you, um, because you may have habits that you're not aware of. I was told sometimes that I was a bit too unfocused, but I thought, well, that's because I've got a creative mind, and, and if I was, then I should be in use. If if I, if all I want is A and B, then I should be in use. Uh, but then when someone points that out to me, I thought, oh, okay, right, I will try and answer questions better. So that that was so that was, that's what I advice get yourself a champion really and also listen a lot listen a lot to all sorts of radio and find out who's making programs that you really enjoy and then just send them an email to say I really enjoyed that you know they'll probably be really busy but people will love talking about themselves and their work so you could just drop them email and said oh I really loved you know how on earth did you get access to that or how on earth did you record that it sounded
1: amazing you know and 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 that's what I would do as well. Just be hungry to learn. Do you think we're doing enough to nurture the next generation? I mean, there seems to be quite a, a good traineeship scheme at Radio Four.
3: Well, within Radio generally, I've noticed it now since, since a long time ago, since I joined. Yes, it's it's changed slightly. I think yeah. So we've got trainees for we've got audio trainees, as in to work on sound. We've got even working within. Production offices now, we've got like production management trainees and whether there are enough of them. I'm not sure. You can always do more, couldn't you? I don't know what it's like in the independent sector. I think what I have noticed though is people like myself, we are just so busy. We make so many programs and there's such an efficiency about it. So I'm not sure we may always have the the extra time that we would like perhaps to spend with a, a younger person, although the doors are always open. But yeah, I mean, but also I think what is different and which is better, you know, the podcast world is just seems to me infinite. So if you, you know, there's nothing stopping a young person from making it podcast. Is there? And also the technology is very accessible now as well. So I think that's a really good thing.
1: Definitely, and and looking to the future of radio, I mean, you've mentioned podcasts. Do you think there will always be a place for linear radio as we know it, or do you have concerns that podcasts might take over?
3: <laughs> I don't
1: think I don't think
3: podcasts will take over. I mean, the figures that I've got, you know, BBC Radio, I don't know about the independent sector, but BBC Radio reaches thirty three million, you know, listeners every week. Radio 4's got a healthy 10 million people's habits will change. Obviously, you know, I started in the days of Razorblade and Quarter Inch and everything was linear. You know, and you'd make these beautiful programs. I would slave away with my mixing scripts and then oof, gone into the ether, no longer there. I love the fact now that, you know, if someone says, oh, what does that, this so or what would you recommend? And I could just point them to BBC Sounds and there is a whole audio library of all these jewels. You know, two and a half thousand programs. So that's, so I love that about podcasts. I think you'll always have linear radio because some people, you know, it's like, Sometimes there's just too many decisions to make, aren't there? It's like, oh, which podcast do I listen to? Have the radio on. And if you don't like what's on Radio 4, put Radio 3 on. And if you don't, fancy Radio 3. So I think there will always be people like that. I think I will always be one of those people. you know. And again, taking my own medicine, I still listen to other stuff to find out, oh, what's happening over there? There seems to be a buzz about that. What What's going on there? So I think maybe, I think I probably watch less TV, but then that's me. I'm I'm in the audio industry. So I'm confident that radio will still be important. And in any times of crisis and news as well, look how well all the science programmes did, all the public health programmes did during COVID. People, there will still be a need for it and a want for it. I'm going to be optimistic.
2: Of all of the people that you've met, and you've met them all by the sound of it, or most of them, uh, uh, is there anyone that you haven't worked with that you would love to, a dream talent?
3: Do you know what? I We have to maintain a mystery.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do we?
3: Yeah, we do. I've been talking about, um, there is somebody who is a musician who I would really, really like on, but that person very, very rarely gives interviews. I would love to know about them but I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to leave but yeah I would yeah I would really like them to be on and I don't really want to leave the program until they are but I might be
1: here till I'm 90.
2: (laughs) We like that mystery that's great because now we've just got, got all sorts of names in our head.
1: On that just to jump in is there any have there been any guests that you've had to you know one letter or one email just hasn't been enough it's been quite a long process to convince them to come on desert island discs
3: well you'll know as well I mean most things are done through uh people have got agents I mean I can give you an example so for instance with Russell T Davis I approached him first and I didn't know anything about his personal life I had seen something I think I'd seen a very British scandal and his name was at the end as the uh, TV adapter. I thought, oh, he'd be, and I then I instantly. I'm always googling who who has or who hasn't been on, and then he hadn't been on. I thought, oh, we agreed that he'd be somebody that would be good to have on. Through his agency came back, said, "Look, I'm really sorry. My my husband's very ill right now, which is confidential. I would love to do it, but the timing isn't right." So I thought, well, that's not a. It's an. It's a not to know. Uh, it's just not now and then a couple of years later years and years came on and I was reminding reminded of it and I just thought I wonder if he feels ready now so approached again he said yes thank you I'd love to then of course what ensued was the lovely program that we got so for some people it's about the right time for them as well yeah it's an ongoing it's just an ongoing conversation as you can imagine with a lot of this stuff I don't have people's direct emails to them it's through the, so it's you know, there's a lot of um, people to
2: get to. Get past the people to get to the people. Because yeah, it doesn't feel yeah. like that. It feels like you're your Desert Island Disc, you must have just have the address book. You just open it and it's like, oh, you haven't got that. That's reassuring, in a way. <laughs> It's nice to know. You struggle like we do. Who's their agent? Oh,
3: yeah, 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 you do, you do. And um, with the American audience, it's harder because they don't, they, they might not know, especially if they're very young, the yeah. PR person. And also, you know, they are so... Professional over there, with their PR, that the, the, their metrics, and I mean, they really are. So it's like when we say, "Well, actually, you know, we need to be in the studio two hours." You go two hours, you got ten minutes. You know, well, <laughs> then we can't make it. We can't make it work. You know, or can you do it without music? Well, no, that's not really the point of the the program. Right. So I mean, I think I wouldn't be spilling any secrets for saying that it is most difficult with American people. Okay. They're not hostile, it's just that it's yeah. just different.
2: Yeah, uh, we've, we've grown up with it, you know, so uh, you know, we just immediately know what it is,
3: yeah. And also, I would imagine what happens as well is that an email from us will come through and someone will say, Oh, I've had this, and, this, and even if the younger person doesn't know, I'm assuming uh, that oh, great, oh, we should, you know, definitely try and make that happen. And, and obviously, you know, it's a two-way thing. And we do have an inbox as well, so I'd be interested to know who you would like to hear the on Desert Island Who you think we've um, missed? Or then sometimes people will say, "Oh, have you thought of having a Barack Obama on?" You think, "Yeah, yeah,
1: we have." Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and if you can get him here, for two hours, <laughs> we'd love that.
1: <laughs> have you got his number? <laughs>
3: Uh, who was at the White House or was at the White House? Um, so we have an – and sometimes people will – you know, there will be some suggestions in there as well. So that's the thing. goes back to that radar on your head the whole time.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, that, that is one of the things that comes through, actually, not just from your um, chat today but from others as well, is this thing of being always on, and uh, and we yeah. are. And it, and it's and it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, because it means that you get some great stuff. It also means that it's very difficult to relax sometimes because it you're is. always on and you're yeah. always looking for stuff. But yeah. um, I think uh, it, it's been fascinating to talk to you because it is such an institution, as I, as I said, I listened to for years, and, and my mum and dad before that, and everyone, it's Roy Plomley onwards. But we would like to know, we asked, to guess, whether you have any moments that could be described by OMG and FFS. So, first of all, do you have an OMG moment from your career?
3: Um, well, it goes back, I guess, to... Well, there were two really, but I thought... Which one would you want? Um so I remember at school I went to a comprehensive school in Sheffield where they could have filmed Kes in it. I don't know if you know that film. Yeah. And and there was the, the careers officer, well, right, the cupboard, which was the careers bit. So I went in and I said, Oh, so what do you what do you think you're doing, Sarah? I said, Well, I'd really like to work for the BBC, which I did because I love classical music and I wanted to produce the proms. That's in my head, that's what I thought I wanted to do when I was 15. And the teacher just laughed. And he said, oh, Sarah, no one from a school like this is ever going to have a job like that. So, which is a bad thing to say. So I never then, ever, even at university, never told anybody that I really wanted to work for BBC. Roll forward. I think it was 2015, 2016. I'm walking to the Savoy Hotel in London to meet Kirsty, to get in this lift with security people. And I... I'm going to do Keith Richards' Desert Island Discs and The Rolling Stones, and the sun is shining. And then there's, bit, and I'm, and I'm thinking, and in America, again, the pure America. And so, actually, a producer, you're treated like a queen. It was like, fly me, you the producer, you know. Oh, I'm so pleased to meet you, you know all this kind of stuff. And um, I was with uh, Giles, who's like a super studio manager, because we normally. We are always in the studio, but you're not going to say no. We're not going to do Keith Richards' dis- dis. So in the Savoy, and look, it's a sunny day. I could see a red bus going across the street, and I just think to myself, yeah. Mister Spencer, I'm so glad I never listened to you. <laughs> and then, and then the other oh my god one was like it's of my first castaway. It was Guy Garvey from Elbow, mm. um, and he had really enjoyed being on, and he they interviewed him the next day on Six Music and he'd said, and I, I was on a sort of trial bit at Desert Island at that point, and apparently he'd said on there, oh, it's, you know, it's not just Kirsty, it's lovely. The producer, Sarah, she's really lovely as well. She made with these brownies and she'd like piped all these projects on and that got back to him. So you realise it's also really special for the mm. person who's on the programme. It really does mean a lot and then, you know, you get lovely, like Leslie Manville was on the other week and you get lovely emails from people that you really respect and it's meant so much to them. And that is, that's, that's yeah, I suppose those, I'm lucky I continue to have OMG moments.
2: Isn't that and lovely then, to hear?
3: <laughs> and then the FSS moments, I mean, every, it will happen to anyone at some point. Yeah, going all the way to Sheffield, my first little venture, Radio 3 to do their children in need thing. And I left the pause button on with the Lindsay Street Quartet. Oh. Everyone's <laughs> done that. Everyone's done that. Yeah. And then... And then also I talked about being, you know, in charge, cool, calm, collector to make, you know, Desert Island Discs go. Well, as you know, radio, you know, you carry everything yourself kind of thing. So I had my rucksack. I'm about to do Darren Brown's Desert Island Discs, and I walk into the cubicle where he is because Christine has gone and met him and he's all there ready, and I'm running in with the, well, run walk, you know that that run walk you've got. And again, didn't realise a rucksack was it. And the whole thing, think that everything, everything falls out of my rucksack oh, no. into Darren Brown. <laughs> and I just I just I just look incompetent. I've got I've got, you know, shopping lists tam packs everything's mm. coming out and Darren Brown's like, oh do you want these do you want these do you want these I just think <laughs> what Stop. I, I, I start thinking, has he just made that happen because he's an that's
2: what so, I was gonna say yes that's Yeah, exactly but
3: it. It, you know so so this idea that I'm always perfect it's rubbish
2: she <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing like embarrassing yourself in front of a guest. I know, I know someone uh, who went to audition, this is slightly outside of radio, went to audition with Pink Floyd as a guitarist and they walked up to the studio and their bag for their guitar wasn't zipped up and the guitar fell out of the bag in front of the whole band fell on the concrete floor and broke in half
1: oh god that was <laughs> they didn't get the job no they did oh
2: yes they did get the job I'm not saying that's what, how, how you do it but yeah but yeah, <laughs> embarrassing things uh, that fall out of your bag nice one nice one Sarah she was great
1: who out of interest do you think the musician is who she really wants on Tessa Island Discs I think it's Kate Bush
2: yeah now that would yes that would be a good one no Elton John but he's done it I think mm. Kate Bush I'm going with Kate Bush
1: well as Sarah suggests do get in touch with Desert Island Discs tell her who you would like to hear on the programme um, another thing I loved from uh, her telling us about how the programme's made I love it that it's her role or, or the other producers role to decide the order that the discs go, go yes. in because yes. I just assumed that the guests would, would you know create by that by the sound of it the guests
2: assume that as well
1: <laughs> uh, but I also love that due to her work as a radio producer Sarah has knowledge in things like the Falklands. i love how sometimes you just become an expert due to whatever twists and turns your career takes suddenly you find yourself an expert in a subject that you didn't really know know much about exactly and uh the final thing well a couple of things actually just what a great manager um saying i don't want you working for me in a year's time i think that's such a good thing for a, a manager a to say it, isn't it? yeah it is and and also her Sarah's own advice about getting interview practice I think yeah. in particular for a BBC board interview it's getting that practice in and listening to advice and feedback because as she said you might have habits that um, you're not aware of
2: Have you done a BBC board?
1: Uh, I've done a couple. I've yeah. done one. It
2: was terrifying. Oh,
1: really? Terrifying.
2: <laughs> I didn't get the job on that
1: one. <laughs> we we'll Always ask for feedback. That, always. Be... Anyway, we hope you enjoyed hearing Sarah's story as much as we did. There are many more great radio producers to enjoy in this series, such as Joby Waldman from production company Reduced Listening. There's Tim Johns from the Jeremy Vine show on Radio 2. Or there's Sarah Crawley from Woman's Hour, another Radio 4 institution. Just follow or subscribe to hear new episodes as they're released. And until next, time thank you for listening and goodbye
2: reproducer
0: hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter